0: Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Hey, welcome to episode 43 of Growth Marketing Today. I am your host, Ramley John, and I'm here on a mission to help marketers all around the world sharpen their growth marketing skills by talking to some of today's top marketing experts today is all about seo is it worth investing in seo in 2019 and beyond when it's getting harder and harder to rank for keywords the short answer is yes according to kevin indig he is the vp of seo at g2 and if i had to call somebody an expert it would be kevin because he has worked for companies like ebay pinterest atlassian and g2 to acquire more than 100 million users using SEO. In this episode, we talk about something that Kevin dubs as microsite 2.0 strategy that doubled the organic traffic from 2 million to 4 million at Atlassian and if you know anything about seo that's actually quite hard we also talk about a link building strategy that kevin calls account-based link building and that one's gonna be good finally we talk about big shifts in seo in 2020 and beyond we know that google's been updating the algorithm a lot of seo folks are upset we talk about that too should we be wary as always if you want to Show notes, uh, my takeaways, uh, quotes from Kevin, because there's a lot of good stuff here. And more from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 043. That's growthmarketing.today. Four slash zero four three. You can find that link in the description, somewhere in wherever you're listening to your podcast. At if you're new here, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, uh, anything else like Pocket Casts. As always, I appreciate it very much if you leave me uh, a review wherever you get your podcasts, a podcast. A five star review if you're getting this from Apple, so we can reach more marketers with this podcast. I don't want to hold you back any further. Let's listen in on my chat with Kevin. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to have Kevin Indigo here, all the way from Palo Alto. Uh, and we're going to talk about SEO. And Google's been doing some crazy stuff uh, lately with their updates. Some people are happy. Some people are very upset. So before we talk about it, how's it going, Kevin? How are things with you?
1: <laughs> it's going well. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm super stoked to be on.
0: Yeah, I know we've been chatting back and forth for since last year, actually. I know we, we chatted over Twitter, then we got on LinkedIn, and then via email. I'm sorry. Couldn't I didn't get you on the show sooner? I I think I mentioned I got married and and I I stopped the ep, the podcast for like eight months, which I feel bad because people were bothering me about it. But I'm I'm excited to have you on to talk about SEO, man.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, and uh, no worries about that got to take care of priorities.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> yes. Oh,
1: yes. I I signed that any day.
0: Yeah, it's true. Can, before we go on, you you have had an interesting career journey, you know, you you, you finished a degree in economics, then you helped companies like eBay, Pinterest, at Ad, atlassian and now G2 to uh no, acquire more than 100 million users uh using SEO. And this is something that I I read somewhere like you that you acquired 100 million or more users. For this companies. maybe tell a little bit about your career journey and how you went from a degree in economics to like VP of SEO and content at G two.
1: Yeah, sure. So as the listeners can probably hear, I was not born and raised in the US. Uh, I'm actually German, and I came over here to the Silicon Valley about five years ago. And along my career, I had the opportunity to work with lots of big brands and websites, and that's how I got to 100 million. It was just simply working with all these big brands and helping them accelerate their organic traffic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had, a, had a, um, a start on the agency or consulting side of SEO. So I paid my dues in five years in agencies and then uh, halfway through made the switch uh, to work at Atlassian, now at GTU. Um, 2 And I've also been consulting quite a few brands, and um, I'm also mentoring startups at the German accelerator, which is the official startup program of the German government. And so all of that together allowed me to, you know, kind of make an impact on some of these companies.
0: How did you get into SEO? Because I know economics is very numbers driven, a lot of models. Uh, were you just interested in the number side of, of marketing or somebody introduced you to SEO?
1: I actually stumbled into SEO. <laughs> I, I love I, that like, yeah. <laughs> Not on the street, but uh, more or less on the internet. I um, I was a, a real gamer kid, you know, back in my teens. And when broadband internet came out and was accessible, um, I was about 13, 14, got soaked into online gaming and teamed up with a couple of friends. And um, ultimately we wanted to play some tournaments. And to register for a tournament like Counter-Strike or StarCraft or some of these games, you have to have a website. Um, And so I was the guy to figure out how to make a website. I taught myself (laughs) crappy HTML and CSS and Photoshop and made really, really bad websites. We're talking about iframes and tables and all that junk. But um, eventually I got curious, curious about how people got to the website. And that got me on the track for that there's actually something out there that is a search engine and what organic traffic is. And so back then it was so possible to kind of teach yourself because SEO was super basic. We're talking about 10 years ago and uh, everything, you know, went on from there. I then started economics business, if you will, you know, it's like a, it was like a, a mixed degree. And, um, Always stuck with SEO and online marketing, and then had the opportunity to do a traineeship that was still back in Germany. And then again, pay my dues on the agency side. Um, And that gave me a lot of exposure to different businesses, mostly enterprise businesses, Um, but also learn technical SEO from the ground up.
0: It's cool that... So if somebody asks you what brought you SEO, you can say it's StarCraft, right? I am a big (laughs) StarCraft nerd when I was a kid. WarCraft, you know, like I was part of a clan. I was such a big nerd um, back then. But it's cool that StarCraft was the one that brought you to SEO. Do you remember what... like? So you built this website for HTML, CSS. Do you host it? Do you remember what hosting it was with?
1: Uh, It was a a German holster. And then for... A while it was also um yahoo geo cities if you still remember that
0: yeah yeah do you remember what keywords <laughs> yes you, were, you were you were ranking for back then like 10 years ago or like that was like way 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 back then but
1: there was not even we we're not ranking for anything really <laughs> uh maybe you know got a couple of visitors but um you know it, I, I don't remember what the trigger was but i remember that we had this website up uh, it allowed us to to register for for some tournaments And then um, I think I installed Google Analytics or some sort of tracking tool. And then that was the first time that I realized that there are different channels to acquire traffic.
0: Now, I know you built your career around SEO, and this is something that I hear from some folks here, and like some marketers, that SEO is is dead. It is much harder in 2019 than 10 years ago to try to get users to my website from SEO. What, what do you tell those folks like why why should companies invest time and money nowadays in in SEO
1: generally i agree that it's harder i think it's way harder um that is partially because google is using way more ranking signals which are very very hard to reverse engineer uh, they seem to use more and more deep learning um, and their algorithms have become much more sophisticated so it's just it, it used to be something that is relatively straightforward to reverse engineer, and that's just not possible nowadays. So you have way, way more fuzziness compared to 10 years ago. But Google is still the biggest referrer of traffic by far. There is a really cool dashboard that I reference regularly in my content from Parsley about the traffic referrers, and I feel like they have a really good grasp on what platforms and sites sent the most traffic and Google is still sending double as much traffic to websites than Facebook, for example. And, um, you know, that traffic comes pretty cheaply. The, the only traffic that's cheaper is direct traffic and the traffic is pre qualified because people already have a problem that they are looking for an answer for. So it is way harder, but it is still one of the best opportunities to grow a business. I would say
0: you made a good point there. Like, Google still delivers a lot of traffic using their search engine. Uh, And so a big part of that is creating great content. And that's uh, such a big piece of of ranking uh, and getting some visibility through search engine. I read one of your blog posts. It's so great. I'm going to link it in the show uh, show notes here. Uh, you You wrote about a better approach to keyword research for content marketing now for my listeners who hasn't read it first of all they should read it (laughs) i'm gonna link that post in the show notes like i said but can you walk us through your process for finding like the right kind of keywords and topics for for content
1: yeah thank you for the kind words the reason for how i got to this i don't want to call it a method but more or less mindset is that even though i'm a technical marketer i try to be creative as creative as possible and i realized Especially when it comes to keyword research, we're all following the same process, and that means most of the time we get to the same results. And so I was thinking about how can we approach this whole content creation topic differently, and that's what got me to this idea of a problem-driven approach to keyword research. And it's it's a it's straight it's relatively simple. You start by collecting questions. You can and and I think as technical marketers and SEOs, we should think. A bit further beyond just Google, right? Like the, the common approach is to go to Uber Suggest or Answer the Public or any of these tools that permutate different variations of keywords and questions. And you throw that into some sort of a rank tracker that gives you a search volume or a keyword planner. And then you prioritize it that way. But I think search volume is kind of a lagging indicator, right? You have to have some interest for a topic for it to have search volume. And so the reverse of that is to start with problems that people have today. And so we can look at stuff like, we can look at platforms like Twitter or or Facebook or Quora or Reddit or whatever to gauge certain topics that people have an interest for. And they usually voice it through questions, right? So you go to like social networks and other platforms, you collect questions, you then define the problem out of these questions, right? The questions are not the problem. They might be a a problem, right? But they're not the the deeper problem. And so something that I have realized not so long ago is that there are actually two different types of user intents. There's the immediate intent and there's the greater intent. And people use search queries or searches to voice their immediate intent, but that does not, you have to kind of take that to the next level or abstract it a level higher to understand the greater intent, to understand what people are actually trying to solve, right? They might be looking for, uh, I don't know, um, some like... Um, some mortgage related uh, query or, or credit card or whatever, but actually what they're trying to do is make more money or, um, you know, household better with their savings or stuff like that. So you want to collect the questions. You then want to define the problem, topic, and query, right? So what is the actual underlying problem? Um, how does it fall into different topics? And what are the actual keywords or search queries? Then you want to think about the user intent. User intent is important because it, it, it is... It has really become the strongest ranking signal. Hmm. If you don't match the user intent that Google has identified for a search, your site will not rank. It doesn't matter how good your content is or how good your backlinks are. So you want to define your user intent, what are people trying to achieve. Number four is to add the funnel stage. So is this something where that is much higher in the funnel, which means that people might come to consume your content and then they leave again, or is this very close, this is very close to the bottom of the funnel, which is where people make a decision to go forward with the with a certain solution or a product, and then the last step is to develop content ideas around that. So you basically flip the whole approach on the head.
0: <laughs> that's so good. I think that that's totally opposite than what I hear. Not opposite, more so much more intuitive. You know, you're not starting from a bunch of random keywords like in Uber suggest like you talked about. Where does uh, doing research come in, like using a a or uh, uh, other like SEM rush? Where does that fit into? This this step, like, is it when you're trying to figure out the problem, topic, and query, or more probably later after you already have the content ideas?
1: So you can use uh, stuff like Ahrefs or SEMrush or any other rank tracker. As say most other rank trackers in a couple of of these steps. So you can collect questions with Ahrefs. They have a question feature, which I think SEMrush has as well. Uh, Both of them are really good. Um, Then you can use it to do keyword research. So once you know the problem and the topic, you can then look at what are people actually looking for. And then in the last step, when you develop content ideas, I think Ahrefs has a great content module that shows you um, the best performing content out there uh, for a certain query. And so that can all enrich your understanding of how you actually have to structure your content and what problems you should address.
0: The other thing I really like about this is that you're starting from the a problem, and that's how some marketers who are not really in, like in depth in SEO. That's probably where they would start off, like trying to figure out what are the problems and what are how can I solve those. And you're just using that approach to keyword research and SEO and, and content. Another blog post that you wrote, and like I said, you know people should check out your blog because there's some really great stuff there. You wrote about like factors that make content great. What what are those factors that you that you stated in that blog post, which I'll also link in the show notes, that define what great content is?
1: Thanks. Um, so I, I kind of distilled it down to ten factors that I see right now. Um, the first one is that content needs to have the right format, and this is this is super important because it it goes back to the idea of user intent that I mentioned before. But it's not the it's not the same thing. So the format could be images, videos, audio, text, graphics, those kind of things. And it's important because Google will show different formats at the top of the search results called Universal Search. And for some user intents, a certain topic is so predominant that it shows at the, shows up at the top of the user of the uh, search results. And that means you can gain tons of traffic by simply optimizing an image or having a good video or something out there. Uh, and it's a great way to bypass search results, right? Like if you have a an incumbent or a search result that that is at the top and reigns there since forever, you could just, you know, um create a different format and and just bypass them. But then um high-quality visuals themselves are also really important, I feel like, because they're so well, they're so universal for other formats. And what I mean is a a a piece of text and an article is really Increase in terms of quality when you have a, a really good visual, but you can also use that in videos. Um, you can you know use the visual itself, so it makes sense to invest in in, in uh, good graphics. Um, a good or the top content or great content also synthesizes the top ten results, and this is something I'm really bullish about. So if you want to be the best ranking results, you have to be then you have to be better than all the other results out right. there, right? It's pretty straightforward, <laughs> but uh, this is something that I think. Too many SEOs are not doing is to actually look at what is ranking well and try to understand why it's ranking well from a content perspective. Then you also want to build content on empathy and user understanding. So just thinking about what is a user a user really trying to to accomplish here? You know, you want to step out of your tools for a second and and really try to put yourself in the shoes of the visitor and think about how can you make that experience as good as possible. Part of that experience is also a good format or layout. So you just want to make it as easy as possible to consume the content. And it's not just, you know, having lots of paragraphs and headlines, but it's also navigation throughout the article and, uh, you know, reference, like maybe have a a top and a bottom navigation, referencing other articles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Then of course you want to be an expert. And this is something that Google seems to have put a lot more emphasis upon in the the last couple of um, months and years. Uh, so there was a, a couple of years ago that we had this thing called authorship, uh, and then it went away. But now Google references um, EAT expertise, uh, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness a lot in their radar guidelines. And so I think it is it is very underestimated to have content written by experts. So I think the same content. And this is this is a a pure like assumption or observation that I'm making here. I'm not saying this is universally true or proven. But it strongly seems that the same content written by different people or attributed to different authors could rank differently. Interesting. And I see that a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's I think there yeah, it is. It is. And I think there's a lot of potential to, to do some more research uh there. And I hope that one of the bigger tool vendors will um will try to compile more research. It's it's still testable because you could theoretically have the same content, and, um, Attributed to different authors and see how it performs. So I think that's something we can actually test and figure out more about. And it makes sense. Why would Google do that yeah. um, for a certain, and they ha- I think they even have that in their newest um, version of the radar guidelines, but for some um, topics, obviously this expert factor is much higher than for others, right? Say medical content or financial stuff, um, there you would want to have an expert of course and then when it comes to to other stuff like i don't know arts or so uh that's where maybe the expertise is a bit more blurry or probably the factor is toned down a little bit more um then you want to have a clear topical focus so it comes back to the idea of uh, user intent and and good layout and formatting um is you want to you know you want to you want to strip away all the fuzz and the fluff uh, you also want to optimize it for entities and that's kind of its own, I don't want to say science, but it's it's a huge topic that I've uh, given a couple of presentations about before and written, written a couple of articles. But um, entities are basically a new way to, to organize Google's understanding of language. Um, and then the last factor is to make content as long as necessary, but as short as possible, <laughs> right? And it's, it's, kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of that idea again of stripping away the fluff. You know, yeah. I think that worked for a while where sheer kind of volume of content was important, but um, nowadays you, you just want to get straight to the point more or less.
0: I'm curious about your thoughts on length because, you know, look at conversion Excel, they've gone to like longer, longer pieces, like where it's like four, 5,000 words versus something that's like less fluffy, more fluffy, like probably a hundred, you know, like 500 to a thousand words. Do you have a preference in terms of length of of the content itself?
1: So I have a couple of views and I recently changed my view on that. So generally length is better or longer is better because the ch- chances of covering more relevant topic is high, uh, content is higher. Right. So but just longer doesn't help, right? Yeah. You want to you want to have meaningful length, not just right. length for the sake of length. Um but I recently changed my mind a little bit about that. Um I still think that it should be as short as possible by being as long as necessary. But at the same time, I see more and more formats that where you have a set of pages that cover smaller aspects of a bigger topic, right? So it's it's more like a it's going away a little bit from this idea of a topic cluster mm. and more towards like a, a library of content where you have, um, you know, distinct articles for subtopics of greater topic that are all connected. i am actually giving a presentation about that um, at um, MN Search in uh, June. So in about three weeks, and I, I um, basically call this uh, Microsites 2.0. It's a strategy that we also employed at um, Atlassian uh, with some of our microsites, and uh, we really, um, it's it's kind of its own format. But uh, when you when you check out stuff like atlasnet.com/slash/git or slash agile or slash DevOps, we have these kind of integrated libraries into the root domain that cover a topic like uh, like agile or um, like DevOps. Um, and they that consist of lots of smaller, shorter articles that make it really easy to consume this bigger ho- topic as a whole. They're kind of interconnected, and it's a right. much more focused way to approach content.
0: So then, under Agile, would have like links to the shorter articles. Is that what I'm I'm hearing from that?
1: Yeah, yeah. You have one landing page. Uh, that lists lots of uh, shorter articles, and all all these articles are sequential, right? So they're interconnected. Oh, right. They try to. They're almost like a tutorial or a guide, if you will. Um, but this this strongly diverts from the from the often seen format of the blog where you have a much more random publishing structure and the articles are not that connected.
0: Interesting. And then in the root, in the forward slash agile page, is it just that list of articles or does it have like other content in that, like uh, maybe an introduction paragraph?
1: Yeah, that's correct. It has an introduction paragraph and some high level content about what agile is, but uh, it then very quickly um, directs the traffic to these articles and then it's almost like a these articles basically try to cover the whole user journey from a to z right from from basic understanding what is agile for how do you do it to the real nitty-gritty stuff
0: i'm really curious because you you know you're giving a talk on this in three weeks and this is (laughs) not something that i've heard i've i've heard of creating topic clusters what were the results you got for that particular set of pages
1: yeah, so we basically doubled organic traffic. Dang. Um, we took it from four to eight million, yeah, which was major. It was definitely our cash cow in terms of organic wow. traffic at Atlassian. Um so this this content was huge. And yes, I would I would see it as like a next um level of topic clusters clusters, if you will. Um I'm not saying topic clusters don't work anymore, but um I think that these kind of microsites two if you will, this is this is just you know a name that that I gave it, but um, I think that they come with a couple more benefits than just organic traffic, um, which is that they have a much clearer and shorter path to conversion mm. because you kind of take people on this journey, journey where you right. guide them through the whole process, right? Instead of having them jump from kind of, you know, one article to the next REM article, they can you can really minimize the the time to conversion um, and also get better results because you don't push them to convert too early on in the process, yeah. right? You can map this whole list of articles to the funnel if you will or to the strength of the buying intent and then once they're ready once they make an evaluation then you can you can strongly push them and so you have a much more efficient way um for people to convert
0: it's so good i i'm gonna try try this out yeah, yeah. please let me know what you think so where, where do where did most of the organic traffic go to through the smaller articles or did it go more into the root one
1: it was relatively um distributed i mean um the 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 closer or like this this kind of this kind of root page or landing page obviously addresses super um high volume head terms like uh git or what is git or what is agile right lots of people searching for that and then the the further you go into the rabbit hole the smaller the search volume but the more qualified the traffic and so in, in terms of sheer volume it was it was mostly focused on the on the landing page or on the on the home page um, but the more qualified traffic then came to these blog posts. Right. But the cool thing is that you know people have the they have the option to go back and forth, right? So say they they come to a certain Git command, right, which is pretty deep in the weeds. They want to understand the Git command and how to use it. But then it can go back and understand, hey, what is kind of um, what are all the options to use Git for in the first place, mm. um, and how does it fit into a greater strategy? um of you know uh, repositories and all that kind of stuff right so um it makes it it makes it much easier for an audience to understand a topic
0: i'm sorry i'm really jumping on this but how, yeah, please, please. how long are those how long were those shorter articles like were they uh you know 500 words like you know like how, what was strategy around the length there there was a real
1: strategy for length. It was much more a, a um, kind of prioritization of what gets people to answer the quickest and what helps them to understand the right. context. So some of these articles are maybe 300 words long, right, where you can certain queries you could just answer straight to the point and you don't need to talk, you know, like walk around it for, <laughs> for, for, for all too long. <laughs> and then uh, some of these need way more explanation. They're maybe 1,500, 2,000 or even longer, um, more words.
0: And how long? How long did it take you guys to double the traffic? Like, was it, it took a while? You know, a few months, or like it, Google really loved this type of structure, and all of a sudden you you got you doubled traffic, organic traffic, within a month or so.
1: No, uh, no, that would have been crazy. <laughs> that would have been cool. Right? No man, yeah. Jesus, uh, that would have been insane. Uh, this, uh, so we went from four to eight million in about two years. Uh, and for some of these, it went faster. For some of these, it took a bit longer. But we started with two bigger microsites, which were based around um, Agile and uh, Git, and then we rolled out more and more. So. We roll out a team playbook, an ITSM microsite, the DevOps uh, microsite, uh, and a couple other smaller ones. And so in the beginning, they take a little while to ramp up, maybe a couple of weeks, and then they gain much more presence over time.
0: Now, you've been calling it microsites. Is the header different from the, the main like website, or is it like not even Atlassian.com? Like, is it another domain altogether?
1: That's a great point, because... That's why I'm calling it microsites 2.0 instead of just microsites because right. the, the kind of the, the 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 classic idea that people have of microsites is they're in a subdomain, they're campaign related, and they're this one time thing that that then eventually dies off. And the microsite 2.0 idea is much more to have them in a subdirectory. They do have a different layout than the rest of the root You're domain, right. but they you know and they're kind of somewhat isolated, I would say. Um, but within themselves are strongly interlinked. And so they're kind of islands on the root domain, if you will, um, that help people to really explore a topic, but then also at the end funnel them toward a certain product, right? So the agile microsite funnel to to, to sign people up for Jira, the Git microsite um, had people sign up for Bitbucket and so we created these different microsites that were all geared toward a product.
0: This is great I'm gonna go find this and I'm gonna link it (laughs) in the show notes just because it's uh, something that I haven't heard of before and the results speak for themselves right? Yeah totally. Did you have any distribution strategy when you guys were putting this together or like any amazing content like do you have a specific you know once it's posted up do you just let Google pick it up or do you like have like hey let's send it out here and specific other channels
1: well so there are a couple of channels that that i personally like a lot um social media obviously and then email so at the last time we had a major uh email list of a couple million people and uh even if just 0.1 of that email list finds the article very interesting right that's that's already a ton of traffic so um i think building an email list really pays off but also building relationships with certain people in this space um and you can you know we do this at G2 right now so we we have a contributor network which means that we put out articles and we we give people like like the Harrow servers help a reporter out we have the same thing for G2 right so we give people the opportunity to um, comment on some of our articles and that of course also increases the 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 reach because the people who are featured on the article will obviously share that article as well and often link to the article Um, But we also want to reach out to relevant outlets and blogs and do just classic outreach, but very targeted and relevant. So one thing that we think about is, hey, if we want a backlink from a certain site, what kind of content do we have to create to fit into the portfolio and make the author comfortable to link to our content?
0: I guess I'm going to jump on that because here one of the struggles in one of the hardest part of ranking that I hear from other marketers and SEO folks is getting backlinks. Do you have a strategy about trying to get backlinks back to great content? Or do you like just let it happen organically? If your your content's amazing, then people will link to it? Or do you like have a really targeted, like, hey, we're going to reach out to a few bloggers and try to get backlinks towards it?
1: So I really have to write this article about account-based Uh, link building because okay uh, account-based marketing (laughs) (laughs) this is great no no this is awesome same with link building right like what what like this is exactly what i was talking about before right uh there are certain key backlinks you want to acquire to rank for a certain keyword for lots of queries or keywords that's that's still the case especially when they're really competitive and so you want to reverse engineer the whole or flip the strategy on this head where you look at a site, you say, "Hey, this is the content that they usually refer to. Let's build something equal or better, and then pitch it to them." So you really want, you know, you create content for the purpose of getting a link. Now, th- that's the that's basically the the gist of account based uh, link building. But um, generally, there are different topics that work better for link building than others. Uh, the first one is just to have a strong opinion on something. Of course, that opinion has to make sense, right? You can't just mm. like put some random opinion okay. out there. But um, you know, sometimes uh, because people have strong emotional reactions to opinions, they either really disagree or really agree. They they tend to either link or or share a piece of content more. And the other one is statistics and any sort of original data that still works like a charm. So whatever types of surveys you can come up with, or data that comes out of your product or your marketplace, uh, or some sort of original research, primary research that is, that always is something that that people are happy to
0: And you should uh you should write that for sure, because like everybody's talking about account-based marketing. Yeah. and account-based account link building would be on trend or on top these days. I want to take a step back and ask you from two different perspectives, uh, one from a startup and one from a larger company. Like let's say a startup approach you for advice about SEO. Um, they don't have any content at that point. You know, they're they're just starting out. Their website is completely new. What would be advice for them to start thinking about SEO and investing into that?
1: First you want to understand what approach makes the most sense for you so startups that generally fall into a couple of different categories right there are marketplaces like uber airbnb those are marketplaces they connect uh, some sort of a buyer and a seller then there are apps out there of course and there are social networks and there are e-commerce startups and there of course there are also hardware startups there are, there are a couple of more categories but the big question is which one do you fall into and depending on which one you would want to follow a different approach. So SaaS companies, for example, most of the time have to rely on some sort of content marketing. That's usually their biggest driver of SEO. Sometimes they have a scalable, you know, page format like Trello. For example, has public, publicly indexed instances, um, Canva, and. And MailChimp and Typeform, they have templates that are somewhat easier to scale, but usually they have to rely more on content marketing. And then on the other spe- uh, end of the spectrum are companies that benefit from user generated content. You know, all the Facebooks, Yelps, uh, Quoras, and whatnot, or Reddits, um, they have to take much more care of the technical SEO side of things and controlling index uh, or indexing and all these kind of things. But generally, SEO really has to become part of product and it has to become part of the, uh, of the DNA of a startup. And that's, that's something where I see one of the biggest opportunities for startups over traditional businesses when it comes to SEO, because they have a chance to do it right from scratch. It's much harder to add SEO to a company that has already grown a lot or that has a website that's really built out and workflows and so on. Um, but yeah, it generally comes back to the question, of what's more important, technical SEO or content? Um, or maybe there's some sort of uh, uh, hybrid there, but um, that's what it comes back to. That's
0: really good. I, I like how you started off with the business model first and like re, really trying to figure out what would be better for that particular startup. Now G2 is definitely not a startup anymore. Uh, they have hundreds of employees. I just checked out their LinkedIn It's a lot. Now, what was, what's your process there right now? You're VP of SEO and content, and they have a website that's probably been around for a little bit longer. What are your priorities right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the opportunities and challenges are major. I have four different teams at uh, G two Analytics, Opsites, Content Marketing, and SEO. We're about thirty five people, so super strong. We create tons of content, but we also have um, lots of competitors. And so, G two for those who don't know it, um, we are we have been until recently a a review platform that reviews B two B software. But moving forward, we're a we're we're going to become a marketplace for software where you can discover what software to buy, you can actually buy the software, and you can also manage it. So you can understand what software do you pay, or what apps do you pay money for, how much, how much do you use certain apps? Should you use? Should you add something to your to your software stack and and all these kind of things? And so, um, what I'm you know coming in, and I just recently joined about nine nine weeks ago. Um, and so coming in, I first I had to understand the business, the business model, how it works, um, and also where we are right now and where we have to go or where we want to go in the future. Um, I think this is super crucial to, you know, first assess like what's the status quo, but where do we actually want to be in the, in the future? And I think it's really easy to get pulled in by by um, urgent problems <laughs> that you have to address, but then lose your zoomed out vision and get just lost in the weeds right and and start like randomly optimizing for certain keywords not asking yourself in the first place like hey what's like what's what's the long-term strategy
0: I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and Google's been doing some uh, major updates that are uh, causing some people's feathers to ruffle and one of your tweets a few weeks ago is you said Google's message couldn't be more clear they're giving more direct answers and less traffic to other websites. Uh, it's actually from a commentary on a quote from the uh, the CEO of Alphabet, which is the head company of above Google, Sundar. He said, we are moving from a company that helps you find answers to a company that helps you get things done. Uh, it seems like websites are going to get uh, be competing with Google more in its own search engine. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are there uh, with Google becoming... A website's own competitor.
1: That's a it's it's a I think it's a, a major inflection point that we're at right now. And so one thing that every business needs to understand is that if that business gets a significant amount of organic traffic, it has to add Google to its list of competitors. Wow, and that is a major shift uh, from what we had seen before. I uh, last week, uh, sorry, last uh, year. I mean, I wrote an article about Google's transition from a search to an answer machine. And um, I think this is crucial for people to understand. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that SEO is going to die. I'm just saying that it is going to change a lot because Google is giving the answers more and more itself and has openly described the process for how it does that, right? Especially with knowledge graph, with featured snippets. And so already today, we see that for certain types of searches that are related to very simple information, it doesn't really make sense to optimize for those anymore. Mm. Something like um, the like results from a sports game or or something that that is really a sh- a short and simple piece of information, right? You can you'll not get any clicks for that. Why would you? Because Google shows the answer right in the search results. But they're driving that further and further, and um, they outlined plans for um, modifying knowledge graph even further to. Um, to adjust it or to to basically um, facilitate certain user journeys to it, which is crazy. Yeah. right so uh, and again, I, I wrote about that um, in detail um, in this in this article, but um, they're basically trying they're they're not this source of traffic anymore that passes all the traffic on to to other sites and tries to show the best results. They're now showing trying to show the best answers themselves. And that means that you know we have to employ a couple of of counter tactics as, as webmasters there. Um, and some of these are to um, basically, first of all, understand which keywords still make sense to optimize for, right? Um, but then you also want to understand, you basically want to think about how can you, how can you make more out of the traffic that you get from organic search? And this is what I call maximize every click. And the the strategy of these microsites 2.0 that we talked about before plays exactly into that, right? Instead of just getting a, a user on your site you want to get that user on your site, mm-hmm. and keep her or him right. there by guiding them through the process, right? To not give them a reason to click back to the search results, but actually stay on your site.
0: When I read your tweet, um, I was publishing one of my podcasts, and I'm curious what you think about this. I Googled my podcast because I was trying to get links, so I grew up marketing today, and then iTunes. And the first thing that popped up was in iTunes, it was actually Google Podcasts. And then I did this, so I was like, "Wow, that's interesting. I wonder if it does this for other things." So I put Growth Marketing Today, and then Spotify, and then Growth Marketing Today, and Overcast, which is other podcast apps. And it showed the it showed the right it showed Spotify showed Overcast. I'm, I'm curious what you thought is there. Like, it seems like iTunes uh, Google sees iTunes as a competitor, and they're trying to bypass that by showing Google Podcasts and also my top my my latest my three latest episodes. On uh, on top of organic results.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a very interesting battle between Spotify, Apple, and Google. But Google definitely wants a piece of the cake here. And it's interesting to see how they how they improve their understanding of rich media. So traditionally, of course, uh, was information retrieval related to text. And then a couple of years ago, we saw that Google is also able to understand what is inside of images, especially when you have you know text on images, Google was able to, to understand their text and the images. And now they're understanding to uh they're beginning to understand audio. And we see that already today when we Google for answers that are or Google for questions that are answered by video. So you'll sometimes see that Google shows a video from YouTube on top of the search results and the marker is set to a specific second in the video to where the answer is. And that shows us that Google actually understands very well what is being said <laughs> in the video, probably from extracting that information from the um, uh, from the uh, captures, um, and uh, so that's that's going to be major, right? That's gonna that's kind of Google's next step to growth, because they will then be able to translate any audio wow. or video content into text and display it in the search results again. And then last year we had a bigger article series. Sorry, I'm f- I forgot the name of the brand that published this. Uh, my bad, but um, uh, I can I can uh, send you the link so you can add it to the show notes. Uh, but basically, a Google engineer or product manager explained exactly how Google wants to make audio content and especially podcasts accessible, and um, we'll probably see you know very very specific audio snippets rank in the search results for a certain. Um, for a certain uh, query or keyword. And that of course means that as marketers, we need to think about how can we be present on audio and video channels and how can we translate our content into these other formats.
0: Is that something that you're focusing on G2 right now? Like are you thinking about video and audio? Um, Yes, yes. Any particular focus? Like are you starting a podcast? Are you shooting more YouTube videos?
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We're definitely gonna be present on both of these channels uh, with, with different formats. Um, there are different ways to get started there. I think one interesting way is to think about how what what topics and keywords are you already doing well for in uh, in, in textual formats, and uh, what keywords is Google already showing videos uh, mm-hmm. right, and, and some audio content for. So we're definitely going to focus on that. Uh, as I said, we have a, a really strong and big content marketing team, um, but it, it's it's all interconnected, right? Like how do you Um, how do you position yourself as an expert? Because we already mentioned that Google puts a a strong emphasis on, uh, on expert or content by certain expert experts. But then because we want to, to be a media publication as well, we have this uh, learn hub on learn.g2.com and we're going to build this into a media publication. That means we'll have to be present on all of these channels.
0: You know, some folks have suggested to me that you can take your best blog posts, turn it into audio, record it. And then host uh, put it up somewhere like SoundCloud, and then maybe you can you know record it as a YouTube video. Would you suggest that, or would you go into like, hey, what what keywords are Google actually prioritizing for video? What keywords are uh, Google prioritizing for audio? And then translate based on that. Like, you know, what are your thoughts on like, hey, let's just take our best content, translate it for all media, versus you know that's not that that's not a good idea. Let's just focus on which one Google is. Uh, prioritizing video and audio for?
1: I think kind of a, a middle ground there makes the most sense. So when some of your textual content is, is performing really well, it's usually because it, it gives a good answer to users. It's not just because you tick off all the, the keywords and, and have the right entities and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, if Google... I mean, it it still makes sense to translate your content, but you get more out of it uh, when you translate your content into video, and Google is already showing video snippets in the search results, right? That's a, again a great way to bypass uh, some of these uh, hard-to-crack uh, organic results. Uh, but I think that's only the right tactic to get started in the space because the the uh, the sig- basically YouTube functions. It's basically a hybrid between a social network and a search engine, And so it has different rules, um, and you want to. You wanna, we wanna really embrace that, and I think if you only translate your textual content into video, it's a good starting point, but it's not enough long term. You really wanna drive it, your own strategy on both of these formats, podcasts as well, right? So I think interviews, for example, are much much more feasible on podcasts than on, on in textual content. You can still do them, but people will probably want to consume that in audio. In right? Audio.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I'm gonna I, I shift gears one one last time and you know Google's been uh, doing some updates this week and even last week with their mobile where you know their ads are looking more and more organic and you know they're they started showing fabicons with with websites what are you, what are your thoughts on this should should companies start caring about their favicons and optimizing for that like what are your thoughts with this latest update with with this uh with this version of uh, the algorithm
1: so I think it is rightfully outraging I think it is <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a, a certain line that the Google is crossing here but again they, they don't care and, and you know, <laughs> Maybe you could ask yourself, why would they? Uh, their business, the last two quarters, didn't look so well uh, in terms of the numbers. So they have to monetize more aggressively. And I think that's where it's coming from. And it's also ha- it also has been long in the making, right? Uh, a couple of years ago, ads were still marked with a big yeah. yellow uh, sign. And then it turned green like the URLs that are shown. Now it's, there's hardly any distinguish or differentiation anymore. Um, I think we kind of have to get used to the fact. I'm not sure if optimizing your favicon is right strategy. <laughs> I, would, I would much more think, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> Yeah, you're, you're laughing. You, you, know, you know what's up. Uh, but I would think about more, um, how can you increase brand recognition throughout mm. the search results? So that is not just a favicon strategy, but also a, a brand name strategy. And so I think that's where it ties back into connecting SEO to other channels. Just for example, advertising. Uh, or brand advertising, where you really try to hammer your brand into consumers' brains so they click more often on your results. And your brand your, it should still be displayed in the search results. So maybe that changes at some point in time, but um, when you're able to connect that with a certain favicon, uh, maybe you can you know, use more colors <laughs> or something that stands out a bit more. I think that in combination has a much greater effect than just thinking about how you can do some kind of weird favicon stuff. Because Google already said that they're probably going to, to some degree penalize, you know, um, Pepecom spam. (laughs) That's funny. Um, But I have to say, honestly, I was pretty shocked to see that because I, so uh, about a week ago I came back from Germany and my flight got canceled um, and had to fly the next day. And so there's a highly emotional situation and I tried to get to the website of United and I landed on a third party and that, that, that mobile uh, layout update was already rolled out and i didn't realize i was in the third party until it was you know halfway through um filling out a form and then i realized shoot this is actually pretty this is crossing a real line yeah. here where it, it opens up the you know a real door to
0: spam interesting so you clicked on you uh, clicked on so, an ad instead of the actual website
1: yes and they and this website did a great job and wow. looking a little bit like it could be from United. yeah yeah that was that was insane i was like wow they That's really did that and yeah it, it Almost worked uh, until I realized that there was a different um, that I was on a different URL than I expected to. But uh, I think we'll see more of that. Uh, I think it's it's a much worse user experience, and it's a signal for or it's a showcase for Google prioritizing uh, you know money over mm-hmm. user experience. After my, month. I
0: mean, what can we what can we do? Like, what are some things that? So one one thing that I've done myself is I've I've stopped using Google Chrome. Like I use Firefox now. You know, some people are talking about going to Google Duck. Like. You know, we're we there's things that they're doing, Google is doing that we're not, you know, as marketers we're not happy about. Is there anything that we can do about it, or it's like, oh, they're too big. We're we're kind of screwed here. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I don't think we're we're screwed yet. Um, I think there there there's the two perspectives to this question. The one is from a consumer side. The other is from a, yeah. from a marketer side. And so I think as consumers. Yes, I think it makes sense to to use alternatives to Google, even though in most cases they actually are worse. But <laughs> it is definitely... You know, yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's true. Funny. It's true. Uh, you know, you, maybe not Firefox per se. I think it's a good browser. But I think maybe, you know, search engines are definitely can't keep up in the same... And I'm conflicted with that too, right? I use a full Google stack, Google Docs, Gmail, <laughs> uh, Chrome, all that same. stuff, right? So I'm I'm a contributor to yeah. the problem. Um, and so I think I have to be more rigid uh, in in... Not necessarily avoid Google pro- uh, products altogether, but just thinking a step further whether what I'm doing here is actually in my long term interest or not. It's definitely my short term interest, but not my long term interest, yeah. maybe. And then as a marketer, what we have to do is we have to diversify traffic channels, yeah. so not be reliant on organic traffic too much. And we have to become, we have to make sure that our site becomes a real destination. And so that's where I think. You know, we saw this. We also saw this the beginnings of that a couple of years ago when Google started to give less, less preference to um, certain domain names and 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 um, prefer brands much more. And I think it, that that was kind of the wake up moment where we should have realized that you really want to create a brand hmm. nowadays that stands right. out from the rest. And it's not just it's an actual you know brand with its own positioning its own kind of values mission all these kind of things that are important that you advertise as a brand so it's not enough to just have like a a nice you know um um like um a keyword domain or stuff like that sure if you if you want to play around a little bit and see what works fine but you know i think as a business you want to become a destination yeah no that's good
0: what are the big shifts you see in seo Maybe not just this year. Um, You know, what are things that are happening in the next few years that you think Google's going to, you know, you foresee Google doing and that as marketers, we need to start like thinking about right now.
1: So one problem that Google has is that they're highly dependent on ad revenue. Mm. And my perception, my understanding is that ads are like a a business model that's slowly dying out, right? Uh, Google, sorry, uh, Facebook is really struggling with its is business model um you know they it, it forces them to take certain actions that they maybe would not if if say they had other income or revenue streams and then google is uh is in a, in a very similar position but they're not as conflicted as facebook because google can show more contextual ads they don't have to actually interfere with the privacy uh which is a problem that facebook has but anyway um i think that google will really try to um, diversify revenue streams moving forward more aggressively. They will probably more aggressively monetize the search results, which is bad news for webmasters. <laughs> um, and um, they will uh, try to enter or they will, their best to enter um, other formats like uh, audio and video content, uh, which, uh, as we touch upon again, uh, I think marketers and businesses have to prepare for. And then I could also see them uh, trying to really play a big role in the next big wave of technology, uh, whether that's um, smart assistants or voice assistants, uh, AR, VR, or um, more artificial learning which is not really a way of technology but uh whatever the next big format is and the next big thing google really wants to make sure that they play at the forefront of that because if there's one thing that history and tech has shown is that it, a new wave of technology basically reshuffles the card for for new players to be there and be on top and so i think that's where google is probably doing a lot of work right now to understand what the next big thing is or the next big platform or device and make sure that they're
0: present so i know google's like picking up information about me. Uh, would you would you buy a Google car and a Google home, a Google <laughs> like fridge, <laughs> a Google TV? Like now it knows everything about you. Is that something that you're concerned about as a consumer or you're like, um, they're, they're going to figure it out. Like ad, ad revenue, you said it's not working for them. You know, you see this with YouTube. They came out with YouTube TV and people have been paying 50 bucks a month to to get on that. But I'm curious if, you know, consumers should be concerned or Google will figure it out and, you know, they'll stop harvesting and exploiting our data.
1: (laughs) I think there's a a middle ground to be taken. And so as a consumer, you want to start having that awareness. Um, There's this really good saying that I recently learned, which is the free things usually come at the highest cost. So whatever product that, you know, that you use for free, I think, again, you pay for in an indirect way you're not seeing right now. And so I really started to change my mindset there and not actively try to avoid Google for, you know, like however I can, but to, to you know, to, to start giving other solutions a better chance um, and really think about, you know, how, how much I want to give away now you know i'm I'm German. so <laughs> Germans have a, probably the highest sense of of uh, sensitivity when it comes to to privacy. I'm not like that. I generally, you know, I think i, I I'm more um I, I more reflect the the American way of thinking, which is that, hey, take my data. I want to be, you know, want to be star. I want to be known, like I don't care. Um whereas you know people in Europe and Germany traditionally more mm. are on the side of, hey, I don't want anybody to know about anything. You know uh, about myself, even though people forget that until a couple of years ago, every name and street address and phone number was in in the yeah. <laughs> phone anyway the different course. But uh, what I'm trying to say here is, I I think people should start having awareness um, for their data and for their behavior. I think there's still ways to opt out from some of the tracking, and I think there are more um, tools that companies give us to understand how our data is tracked. I st- I still think that companies are not doing enough. Um they're basically they're they're basically entrenching themselves as incumbents, especially Google and Facebook, right? And there's again, there's a long political conversation we can have about that. Uh, would I buy a Google fridge or a Google car? Probably not. I also don't think <laughs> that uh, Google will ever make a good fridge or or a car. They're usually not they might might acquire a company yeah, that's really good at making a fridge or a car. Yeah.
0: Um
1: but um no, I think now I'm at a point where I
0: would consider alternate options. Cool. That's that's good to know. Same here. <laughs> yeah, this is the last question. Uh, where can people find you? Like, where can people find Kevin? Uh, where do you want to send them? What is your call to action uh, for my listeners?
1: Sure. So uh, check out my blog, Kevin-Indic.com. And my last name is spelled like um, I like Indigo without the nice. um, I also write a weekly newsletter called Tech Bound. Um, which is a mix of curated articles and basically some tactical and thought leader stuff that I put out there. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I, uh, I'm re- i under my real name on all of these social platforms uh, and I'd love to, to have this uh, a conversation. So uh, feel free to reach out to Yeah, me.
0: I just want to shout out on your newsletter. I, I've been on it for a month now. It's been great stuff. So I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one.
1: It was a total pleasure, man. I had a really good time and and fun conversation. So thank you so much.
0: Hey, thanks for listening in this far. That episode was so good. And as always, I like to share my three key takeaways from this episode. Number one, focus on the problems of your customer. Now, when we think about doing keyword research for SEO, and one of my mistakes is I always think about, Oh, which keywords, short tail, long tail, uh, other things like that. How many viewers are we getting? How many, uh, searchers are searching for this search term? But Kevin said that you have to think beyond Google. Now search volume is a lagging indicator. It's so easy to get caught up with all the stuff I just talked about, but Kevin's problem-driven approach to keyword research starts with deeply understanding your customer's problems, pain points, and obstacles, and creating topics and content around that first. Second, to win with SEO, you need to build a strong brand. We're seeing what Google is doing. Finding keywords to exploit is great, but going forward, this is what Kevin said, we have to make sure that our site becomes a real destination, actually giving value to people instead of just trying to rank for keywords like what we saw with Microsoft Microsite 2.0, where they built this whole funnel journey with their content. Second, and I was alluding to it already, build a microsite 2.0. This is something that really got me excited. I'm not sure if you heard my voice. That means having a main landing page, several links to related articles that leads user down a user journey. Instead of just trying to get users on your site, you wanna keep them, him or her, there by guiding them through this user journey and not giving them any reason to go back to the search results. But you stick around your website. So good, Uh, if you want, quotes uh i pulled out some key quotes from kevin in this episode you also want to read the takeaways i just mentioned and and more stuff from this episode you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 043 it is also in the link in the description below if you want you can join my mailing list so that you can get more of this stuff uh in your mailbox right away you new here please subscribe to wherever you get a podcast as always i'd appreciate it very much if you leave me a review in apple a five-star review would be absolutely fine and dandy you can so we can reach more marketers with this podcast anyways as always keep on growing <laughs>